Welcome, everyone, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a member of the 1012 Podcast Network, and you can find more great Big 12 content over at 1012network.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. I'd also like to remind you this podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Charlie Hustle Clothing Company. That is a vintage inspired clothing company based out of Kansas City, specializing in collegiate and hometown apparel. Charlie Hustle wants you to be the best dressed fan for this season, so be sure to check out their wide variety of officially licensed collegiate apparel and show off your school spirit all season long. You've only got like six more games, so make sure you get it. They've got 30 schools to choose from, so they've got you covered all of your collegiate apparel needs, and you can get 15% off any non-sale item using the code 101215. That's T-E-N-1215 at checkout. Shop today over at charliehustle.com. Charlie Hustle, vintage made fresh. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week like I am every week, and I'm joined by a man in enemy territory suddenly. Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? That's fair. Houston never doesn't feel like home base. Um, I hope that this U of H game is 60% Longhorn fan, so uh, even though it's enemy territory, it feels like a home game for the Horns. Uh, I believe UT with the, I think, still the largest living alumni base, and Houston uh, with the, the largest number of uh, alumni. Uh, so, yes, this is enemy territory for U of H, but come on, it's really still Texas territory. I mean, anywhere in the state of Texas, really, when you comes down to it, is Texas territory. But Texas taking on U of H for the first time since 2002, and the first time as conference opponent since, what, 1996 when the Southwest Conference broke up. Texas, a 20-point road favorite coming off of a bye and a disappointing loss to the OU Sooners. For their trouble, Houston's coming off of a Come from ahead, come from behind, win <laughs> over West Virginia. Um, West Virginia marched down the field, put it in the end zone, and then the quarterback ripped off his helmet, gave them favorable field position, or set Houston up for a Hail Mary, chunked it up, and they came down with it coming up with the win and doing Texas a favor in the meantime. So uh, quarterback that threw that up is a name Texas fans are probably familiar with. He's maybe infamous in Austin. Donovan Smith. The quarterback, 66.2% completion percentage for him. Uh, 13 touchdowns, including that game winner over West Virginia. Smith is a good quarterback, and Texas fans know that firsthand. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I I think, um, you know, you saw Dana in the Red Bowl, um, is what I was calling that. That's Red Bowl bowl to play on words, uh, against his old team, West Virginia. um, And it wasn't offense that either team lacked for. We'll talk a little bit about the Houston Cougars defense and how they even made a a putrid West Virginia passing attack look competent and what that might mean for a Texas team with something to prove. But on the offensive side of the ball, I I do not, I don't think you should sleep on what Donovan Smith is is doing and what Dana will always, you know, scheme up. He he likes to beat Texas um, and he's, he's a, darn good offensive coach right one of the one of the better coordinators in the country went on to be a head coach who's always had great offenses smith averaging you know about 290 13 touchdowns to just three uh interceptions uh his ran for four more touchdowns so kind of 17 to three is a is a good good season um they don't have one receiver who 
terrifies you, but they have three really good receivers. Samuel Brown, the best of the bunch, with 37 catches for around 550 yards. Uh, Joseph Manjack, which is a, a fantastic name. Not Manshaka, uh, pronounced that way. It's actually spelled Manjack, M-A-N-J-A-C-K, has 29 catches for 350 yards, three TDs. And then Matthew Golden, who I believe had the Hail Mary catch as well, had uh, has 27 catches, uh, 295 yards, and four TDs on the year. They have some weapons, certainly. Um, <clears throat> they they run the ball. They do not technically. Uh, you know, they're not a. <laughs> yeah, they're they're right. They're not a a team that's an air raid in some way that they're only running it a handful of times. They run enough to keep it honest, but I I don't think they are a you know an especially adept running team. I appreciate the commitment to it to create some semblance of balance but as they often get in shootouts they are often forced to throw uh to throw the football more than they run um to me this is a chance for texas defense after they had a lot of credit built up in the bank a lot of you know hubbub a lot of people saying that was the reason they would win the red river shootout and then you know, honestly, they got a little bit embarrassed, right? They they More didn't than show up the way they yeah they didn't show up the way they should. Um, they didn't contain an opposing quarterback the way that they knew uh, they would have to. They didn't let a ton of big plays behind them, but um, you know they, they they still between Gabriel's legs and intermediate passing, they just got sliced and diced and had nothing in the way of blitzing or defensive line pressure to counter that. And I think you know. This will be an area that Kwiatkowski and all the players on that defense with a bye week to think about it are going to come out a little bit, I think a little bit humbled, but also a little bit pissed off. And, you know, this could be an area where they get off to the, the quarterback. Don't let Donovan Smith beat you and uh, go go take it to him. Beat him. You mentioned, like, can't overlook Donovan Smith. If Texas fans are overlooking Donovan Smith, then you have way too short of a memory. <laughs> like, the guy won the game for Texas Tech last year. And, you know, he... Kind of does similar things that scare me to what Dylan Gabriel did because Donovan Smith, you know, can run the ball. He can move it with his legs. It's not his first option. He is definitely a pass first quarterback, but like he has four rushing. I think he leads Houston in rushing touchdowns. I uh, ran for one against Texas last year. Remember him uh, bowling over a backup linebacker who was in because Marvin Overshone was out due to a, uh, a sketchy, iffy targeting call in the previous game, but we'll leave that for another day. Um, but like, you know, Donovan Smith is going to move it, but uh, the offensive line, I think is the big question mark. They're, they're 97 in the country and sacks allowed. They don't really give much space for the running room. Like that's the big question, I think. And, you know, we're going to say this and I'm going to say this until we see something differently. Oh, you kind of gave you the template to how to, for how to compensate for an outmatched offensive line. They used Dylan Gabriel's legs and kind of punished Texas for its aggression and its ability to, to reset the line of scrimmage and had Dylan Gabriel run right past them. I don't think that is going to be Dana's game plan, but I do think that that is something to keep an eye on because Donovan Smith, again, can move with his legs. He can keep the ball going downfield. He can, um, connect and he's got a massive arm. So if you're going to, um, 
you know, he's he's a guy who could, you know, huck the ball, you know, in, with the best of them. So um, he really is a true dual threat. And so I'm curious to see what PK can do with two weeks in the bag. And again, Texas has an opportunity to do a lot offensively to help the defense. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But I really think like the matchup I'm watching offensively is can the Texas defensive line look like it did three weeks ago? Or is this over aggression against an outmatched uh, offensive line going to come back and bite him in the keister like it did in Dallas. I predict that this will be a, a front. Um, I hope that the, the defensive backs feast a bit. Um, let Donovan Smith have a very, very um, different opinion of, of how fun it is to play Texas. Uh, but I, I think this will be a, a front seven kind of day. I think this is a day that the defensive line uh, gets after it. I, I, I think you see a little bit more blitzing because though he can run, um, he's a big guy. Um, he's he's strong as well. Um, you know, corner blitzes may not always take him down. I don't know that he's, he's blowing past you. So, um, some, some, you know, some well-timed blitzes, I think could be the, the remedy, but I, I really think this is a game. The defensive line, um, pins their ears back and, and, and finds their pride. Here's hoping. Here's hoping because I need to see it. On the other side, um, the Houston defense is bad. Like, let's just go ahead and say it. They're, <laughs> they are not good. They're allowing four and a half points per opportunity. Overall, their PPA is 272, which is bad with a passing PPA allowed of 433, which is really bad. Um, 40% success rate on passing downs, 1.72 points per successful passing play, which is one of the more explosive um allowed defenses you're going to see all year giving up 35 or more points at four of six games 40 or more in three of them it's not good on that side of the ball kyle i don't know another way to say it it's not good yeah i mean they they lost to rice right like let's remember that they they um only have nine sacks on the year. Seven of them were in that Rice game. They still ended up losing to Rice, right? I'm in Houston. Rice owns the city uh, up until Texas comes and, and, and takes it over. But, uh, yeah, it, Dana may have gotten an improbable win against his former team, but they absolutely did lose uh, to Rice, right? They played a crippled Frank Harris who um, came out, you know, of that game to allow him to, to recover more fully. Uh, they played a TCU team that, you know, we'll see just how good they are. They played uh, an 0-6 Sam Houston Bearcats team, uh, and then they've played Tech in West Virginia in their past two, right? Um, all of that said, not great offenses. They haven't seen a particularly good offense um, yet. West Virginia, you know, is one-dimensional, except when they play U of H, then all of a sudden they can throw the ball. Um, but with that said, they have given up a lot to not particularly great offenses, offenses that aren't in the caliber of Texas OU or even Kansas or, you know, I don't know who the fourth best offense in the Big 12 is. I'm not going to speculate without the numbers in front of me, but they haven't played one of those top-tier offensive teams yet. And even still, um, you know, they're giving up 51% on money downs. So they're giving up, um, you know, 90% on fourth downs when teams uh, go for it. There, there's there's a lot um, not to like if you're a defensive uh, fan and you're a U of H fan. If that, that Venn diagram overlaps for you, I'm sorry. Um, you know, they, they have a couple players, and, and it's not to say they can't pop up and get an interception, um, but, you know, they've been the cure for a common offense if your offense is is you know not particularly great at, at one thing maybe you're not a great running team you, you can be a pretty good running team against them maybe you're not a great passing team like west virginia you're gonna be a pretty good passing team against them it's it's not um i think texas will be balanced i don't think texas will go one way or the other because i think 
most things should work. And Texas should, again, this should be even more than the other way with their defense against Donovan Smith. This should be a time for them to flex a little bit, get the, you know, the 20 points against anyone on the road is, is a tough line. Um, but there's a reason Vegas is, is, isn't usually wrong. There's a reason that the line is that big. Um, and I think a lot of it is that, you know, Texas should be able to get their starters out in the fourth quarter if their offense does the things that they need to do. But hey, score big and you don't have to worry about the red zone. But also, maybe this is a game where you work out some of those demons and you go score against them in the red zone. Yeah, this is a stoppable force meeting a movable object situation <laughs> on the uh, the Texas red zone offense versus the uh, Houston red zone defense. So uh, something's got to give, and I'm hoping it's Houston's red zone effort. Uh, that group led by Malik Robinson has got 44 tackles on the year. Asia Halsey has 43. Nelson Caesar is kind of a terror, four and a half sacks, seven tackles for loss. Um, but most of those, again, came in. Uh, against like all seven of their nine sacks came in the Rice TCU Sam Houston stretch of their schedule. So um, not a great, not a murderer's row, not even a wounder's row of teams in that run. I mean, I guess they, I guess Rice technically murdered them because Rice won that game. Um, but like it, it is, you know, I, I I don't want to take this game lightly because, you know, Houston, they've got an incredible, like offense can get you, can be, it's college football, right? Offense will beat you. But I really do think um, if this turns into a shootout, I get worried, right? Because Houston's going to, there. you let a team like Houston hang around. All of these guys want this game. This is going to be the last time that Texas plays Houston for the foreseeable, right? Steve Sarkeesian has said it, that like, this is probably not going to happen. Um, but like, I am so curious to see what Texas team trots out because if they go out to Houston and they don't come out and play with intensity and play with, with, uh, with intentionality early in that game, they're going to lose. Like they, Houston's going to come pop them in the mouth and the talent differential might even it out, but Houston's going to come out and Houston's going to give you your best shot. Um, and can you weather that you come out and can you give them a best shot back? Because I think this is a Houston team that, you know, when, when push comes to shove, it's not about X's and O's it's about Jimmy and Joe's and Texas just has more of the quality Jimmy's and Joe's. And so I think, um, if Texas can come out and play like they should, and they did for, you know, honestly, all six weeks, OU notwithstanding, there were some, you know, early issues, but Texas settled in and played really well. So this is a game for Quinn Ewers maybe to get right. This is a game for Jonathan Brooks to um, solidify himself as a Doak Walker favorite. Like there's an opportunity there for Texas to come out and do what it needs to do and put itself in favorable position for the remainder of the season. Yeah, you know, we sometimes disparage other teams like, oh, well, they beat up on so and so. I would love for Texas just to beat up on Houston this week. Like be mean, take advantage of the fact that the you know, you have a better roster and you're predicted to win by by at least 20 points. Like, don't make it close and have that slow start where you crockpot every team and win in the f- fourth quarter like they did in their first few games. Like, just just bully a little bit. I would really like that. Again, if, if you can't be ready for that coming off of a bye week after, you know, losing in, in a crazy, crazy fashion in a rivalry game, then, like, you know, these aren't the, the players that I, that I think they are, right? They, I, I feel like there should be some some demons exercised um, by a lot of players this week regardless. But, you know, the talk has been about Hail Marys because obviously we're having a whole different conversation if Dana loses to West Virginia on that late uh, touchdown and they don't get that Hail Mary. Um, It's a much different record and a much worse team. Um, Also, they asked Sark this week and he said, you know, 
the only one that he can remember completed against him was when USC was number 15 in 2014 uh, in that loss against Arizona State, I believe. Uh, probably ultimately kept them out of the conference championship game. So there's a don't let history repeat itself. Don't let them within that striking distance. Um, and just come out early and often and, and you know, Run some, pad some stats. Get Jonathan Brooks up there. Get Quinn Quinn Ewers draft numbers better. You know, get Xavier Worthy some more tape. Like, you look at that NFL draft and a lot of t- you know footage, and, and sure, there's there's highlight plays against really good teams, but a lot of it is like uh, Ohio State wide receivers. You know crushing Rutgers D backs. It's okay to go when someone is not as talented as you and just destroy them. Um, other people do it. We should we should try that. I would love to see it happen this weekend. So Kyle, it's time for your prize. Picks Podstradamus. Again, go over to Price Picks. Use the code Longhorn12 to get 100% instant match deposit up to $100. It's the best way to play player props in states like California, Florida, and Texas. And it's an easy way to play daily fantasy. You pick two to five players and an over under on their projections. You can win up to 10 times on an entry. It's just you versus the projected numbers. They've got tons of stats to choose from. You can mix and match across sports. You can go basketball starting up, college basketball starting up, baseball is in the postseason, obviously college football, all of those fun things. But you, again, can go download that award-winning easy-to-use mobile app on either Apple or Google Play, and you can get up to 100% of an instant deposit match up to $100 by using the code LONGHORN12. So, Kyle, what's your posture, Thomas, pick for Houston? This one is hard, Gerald. This is really, really, really hard. Because three different teams, and I, I mentioned not necessarily great quarterbacks uh, they've played, but three different teams have thrown for 300 yards, one for 401, one for 391. Um, so almost two teams throwing for 400 yards against them. But also three different teams have rushed for over 200, they, including, again, a 250 and a 239 uh, included in there. So it's hard to pick which direction you want to go, how you think Texas is going to just specifically beat them up. Um, but I think, you know, Quinn Ewers had a rough start against uh, against OU. And then we talked about how he recovered from that, what that said about him, how he was able uh, to come back and really, you know, two incompletions down the stretch after the first two interceptions, uh, throw good balls, play winning football, do the things that, you know, he's good at, uh, get the, the short and uh, high percentage completions, right? Um, hoping the offensive line gives him a little more protection. We see some more of that. And so I'm going with passing uh, for my Podstradamus. And I think Quinn Ewers is going to make it the fourth quarterback this year who throws for uh, 300 yards. Now, my only worry here is if they, they get up too early and he doesn't get over 300. I almost want to do team 300 in case Malik gets a little bit of run. But I will say Quinn, Quinn 300 in this one. Our Podstradamus picks are going to be at odds offensively because looking at what Houston has done on the ground, 208 given up against UTSA, 250 against TCU, 239 against Texas Tech, 154 against West Virginia. They're giving up some big numbers on the ground. I say Texas goes over 200 yards rushing on the day. All right. If they have a chance in this game, it is because U of H you know, forces some turnovers. I think they have 10 on the year that they have forced. Um, Texas lost the game against OU because of the early turnovers. That's 100% the difference. Um, and I will not see that happen again. So I'm going to Podstradamus pick it into existence. Texas will win the turnover battle in this one. I like it. Dancing with the one 
that brung you. I'm going to do the same, Kyle. Houston hasn't been great at protecting the quarterback. I kind of teased this one earlier when we talked about the offense. Our bottom 50 in the country in sacks allowed. Texas is going to come away with two or more sacks in this game. Two sacks. I like it. You're you're, you're going safe. You're, you're going with the sacks, but also giving yourself a chance to uh, to close that gap. The, I believe it's five to three and a half, and I, and I respect it. You're playing the game, and I respect that. Got to play the game. You play to win the game. Texas will be back on the field on Saturday against Houston. We'll be back in your ears on Tuesday to recap the whole thing. All right, Gerald, now it's time to take a look at the world. There's some burnt orange lenses. Start with a little bit of the college football landscape. We know the U of H West Virginia was one of the craziest games of the week. Uh, sticking with the Big 12 to start, what was your uh, what was your favorite or what games do you have things to opine about about the uh, the Big 12 this past week? Um, well, Houston is the first uh, new team to get a win over a legacy team in that. Just absolutely wild um, to see that. Cincy might be the cure for the common offense. I don't know. We'll talk about that. The only other option there is potentially BYU being the cure for the common offense because TCU um, got beat by a vacuum. Hoover came in. Um, and, you know, there's a conversation to be had about does does Sonny Dykes and his crew know how to pick the right quarterback? Uh, because Chandler Morris, two years in a row, gets the starting nod, gets injured, and lo and behold, the backup seems to play better. I don't know what's going on, but uh, just just saying it's a trend to watch. We might talk about another team with a shade of purple whose backup quarterback is um, – is somewhat better, um, and that's of course I'm talking about the maximum uh, in in College Station. But uh, we'll, we'll leave that there. Um, both tremendous coaches, Sonny Dykes and Jimbo Fisher, of course, tremendous, tremendous. Um, no jest, of course. Uh, yeah, the the I, I watched a lot of this. Gerald, full transparency, this weekend was the annual gambling day where friends uh, from from college uh, gather in a bit of a reunion and prop bet throughout the course of the day, drinking you know maybe buckets of beer as well. Uh, so the early games I remember very, very well. Middle games remember pretty well. Night games, we'll see. Uh, but I, I watched a lot of that. I A lot more of that Iowa State Cincy than I should have. Thanks, Emory Jones, for getting pulled for Cincy, winning me uh, a bet there um, with a good friend of the show, Eric Verbit, on total yards, Milrow plus Emory Jones. There's crazy things happening. But anyways, the Iowa State team could have won even more. Uh, they had a two, I think, tight ends drop touchdowns in the, in the red zone. Uh, as well as uh, a tight end tackle, a running back on a breakaway. Um, so Iowa State just like fumbled and bumbled, but yeah, I think Cincinnati might be real bad. Uh, couldn't believe after Jason Bean went off that Oklahoma State still won it. Is Oklahoma State sneak- sneakily like the fourth best team in the Big 12 now that they only play one quarterback? They're trying to. I mean, I think um, maybe Gundy was like, hey, this is how bad it could be. Let me do my thing. Right, right. I, I, I don't, I don't hate that. It's kind of like the Milrow experiment that they did uh, against USF. I'm convinced of it. Uh, Saban did. Um, the, the game that I was most interested, I didn't watch, and I saw the box score, and I was surprised was uh, Avery Johnson, which that was San Antonio Spurs Avery Johnson. I was doing not Kansas State's Avery Johnson, um, who I'd never heard of before today, but had five rushing touchdowns to only nine passes of the ball. That's such a such a great uh, Colin Klein stat line. Like, that's ah, beautiful. Um, and also, um, I believe, you know, Joey McGuire was correct when he said Big 12 offenses just run through Texas Tech. So, yeah, correct correct quote there. They run all the way through them like, uh, like 
you know, Taco Bell on a, on an upset stomach. Uh, any other games? Obviously, the game of the week was Uni- University of Washington beating Oregon. That lived up to the hype. The big games this year have absolutely lived up to it, right? The UW-Oregon game was tremendous football to watch. I loved watching that one. Um, and if you think about the other probably, what, three biggest games of the year, Texas-Bama, Texas-OU, even though it didn't end the way it should have, um, and then Notre Dame-Ohio State, maybe I'm missing one in there. All the big biggest games this year have actually been great football, which isn't always the case. No, that game lived up to it. It was uh, triggering for me watching uh, as somebody who's pulling for Washington, watching uh, them get stonewalled on the goal line. But that's, you know, Dan Lanning is a really good coach and Oregon was up for that game. Um, and I, I'm a big Michael Penix fan. I love his story. I love what that guy's all about. Um, that offense is absolutely insane. And so watching him do what he did in battle and he was injured, dealing with some cramping and I think a rib injury too, which is nuts. <clears throat> and watching him come out and battle. And then um, later that day, Caleb Williams getting absolutely just flummoxed by Notre Dame. It seems like Michael Penix has um, the Heisman race and a stranglehold at this point now. Um, that was kind of, I hate the, the Heisman moment conversation, but like that game winning drive that he put together was his Heisman moment. It's dumb, right? He should just be the far and away winner because he is the best quarterback uh, and the best player on the best team right now. And so I think, um, yeah, I think that's, it's just absolutely incredible to watch. And then Stanford, Stan, academic brutality. <laughs> Yeah, Rice winning, Stanford beating Colorado. It's a crazy year. Uh, nerds are having their moment. Um, the opposite of nerds, just like punch, take turns punching each other. What's the slap uh, thing that's on the HP and the Ocho? Whatever the equivalent of that in football was, the uh, the Wisconsin Iowa game was some of the like what what was football like for your grandfather in the 1960s? It was a it was set the game back many years. Um, but then a version of, of football that didn't set the game back, but it was a little bit old school, was wonderful. Uh, the Air Force Falcons, your undefeated and ranked Air Force Falcons, number 22 now, got a win over Wyoming. I was obviously rooting for Wyoming because of Wyoming, but Gerald and I both grew up in Shirts, Texas, outside Randolph Air Force Base. My brother played football for the Falcons. You know, it's it's it was tough for me because I'm a big Wyoming fan this year after. Uh, UT played them. Got to keep that number one strength of schedule, but a really, really good game um, that I actually picked. I said, if you're going to watch the evening window, that's a better game than USC Notre Dame. And boy, I was right because USC got whooped. Caleb Williams lost the Heisman. Notre Dame did their thing. Gerald, in the NFL, there were some great performances. Who was your Longhorn of the week? NH, excuse me, NF. Longhorn, as we're saying it, uh, of the week. Didn't know we were doing that, but got to be Jordan Hicks, right? Interception, <laughs> scoop, and score for a touchdown. Uh, love seeing him do that for – who's he with now? It's not the Cardinals anymore. He Is he on the Ravens? Vikings. Vikings. Minnesota purple. Vikings. Purple, yeah. There were some Ravens who had great performances. Tucker, 7-7 seven seven on field goals. Duvernay had a 70-yard punt return. Uh, got tackled by the, the punter. Took a great angle. I'll give that to him. But uh, but still a great performance there. But yeah, I think it is Hicks. Hicks is uh, it's it's he's a captain. He's a consummate professional. Always sad to think what his career could have been on the forty if he uh, if he wasn't injured. He's really had a tremendous NFL career. And speaking of NFL, Gerald, I just throw this out there. Mel Kuyper's big board right now has Texas with a top three running back. You know who that is? A top three tight end, a top ten quarterback, a top five linebacker. A top 10 wide receiver, which is another one who's probably, I didn't see exactly where he was, but close-ish to that in A.D. Mitchell. Um, A top 10 defensive tackle and a top 10 punter for the 2024 NFL draft class. So we know there's a lot of talent going out the door, um, but any of that surprise you just at how, um, from the NFL's top drafts, you know, uh, Guy and Mel Kuyper, uh, any of that surprise you how high he's got 
Texas folks going? I think the the ones that are surprising to me probably is is Brooks, and not just because of anything other than like he's got one year worth of production. So I think it'd be mm. <clears throat> I, I'm not that's not a knock on him. The guy has clearly the best running back in the country right now. Maybe I don't know how that translates to the NFL. That's not my job, but you know it just seems interesting uh, for him to to have that high of praise after one year i think that would like this would be sark's like master plan coming together right i'd love to see another year jonathan brooks in austin he seems like the type of guy who might come back just for the love of it but there's plenty of horses in the stable for texas if he decides to go pro he's also a guy that's probably in position to graduate he's a sharp kid so like i, I would love to you know if, if he moves on texas has a lot of of uh, horses in the barn yeah just keep keep uh getting dudes drafted winning doke walkers and keep getting the number one recruit in the class um and just make that a cycle that happens every year and yeah pretty pretty fun football um men's basketball came out in preseason poll number 18 a little bit lower than probably we expected in the the first preseason ap poll gerald has a, a thought about preseason basketball rankings and, and exactly yeah exactly how useful uh they are um the ken palm you know advanced stats have them about 16 so you know i still think come on we can get we can get top 15 here but uh max asmus also the the uh, big 12 uh awards and coaches rankings came out ut was number third uh, excuse me was number three in the coaches pick uh behind u of h in kansas for uh the conference this year max asmus earned a spot on that preseason all big 12 team with dylan DeSue, uh hunter and mitchell joining the honorable mention team there any surprises after our preview last week i don't think so i mean i think um Ace Miss is a guy who I think everybody's excited to see in Myrn Orange. Um, I wonder if Dylan Disu maybe would be a little bit higher. Um, but you know, I mean, keep keep underrating him. Let's just let's just keep underrating him. I love it. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think it's also there's some good there's some good bigs ahead of him there. But yeah, I like it. Give him a little chip on his shoulder. Dylan Mitchell, I'd love to see him really live up to it this year. Become more of an athlete, more uh, less of an athlete, more of a player. And and I think that could be a spark for this team. Uh, speaking of of sparks. Here, three Longhorns set to light up the USA diving at the 2023 Pan American Games uh, in Santiago, Chile, uh, October 20th to 25th. Yeah, two divers going with um, Mike Scoggin heading down there. Eight other divers from Team USA, but uh, 50 or what? Uh, Five percent of the U.S. team going to be part. Twenty percent? No, well, I can't do the math. There's 10 of them, 20%. 20% of the U.S. diving team going to be Longhorns, plus the coach. No, that's right. I like it. I like it. Uh, you qualify there, you're automatic Olympic qualifier, so it's a big one. Uh, men's tennis, speaking of uh, international competition signs, standout Timo uh, Legu is, I believe, how we're saying this one, uh, a native of Paris, uh, who's been one of the top junior players in the world all the way as high as number 12 in the ITF World Junior Rankings and for the professional rankings as high as number 406. Uh, that's with every player in the world, um, professional or under uh, or you know junior or collegiate, etc., uh, in singles and 647 in doubles. Um, he's, he's a great player and, uh, you know, I need more fun names to mispronounce on this podcast and to make a fool out of myself as I try to uh, try to sing the praises. Timo Legout. We're going to go with no. Um, Jordan in January. He'll be part of the spring team, which I love to see uh, his father, Christoph. A uh, prominent table tennis player, I think an Olympian table tennis player. So that is uh, a three time Olympian table tennis player. Put some respect incredible. on his name. 
Uh, I tried to. You, we both. I actually didn't try to put some respect on his name. You did, uh, Lagu, Christoph Lagu, which is just, that sounds like a, a rejected um, character from Ratatouille, but that's all the French I know. <laughs> Fair enough, Gerald. Uh, set the internet ablaze right now. Give me your hottest take on the news coming out that as Texas goes to the SEC, they'll also go to grass, natural grass in DKR. This move, this news, move the needle for you. Good, yeah. I think it's uh, natural grasses. Uh, you, you had it with fewer injuries, which I think is probably the biggest advantage of it. Also, uh, you know, when you're a school like the University of Texas, you can afford the upkeep for it um, for the natural grass. I think the move to turf was precipitated by like a muddy field after a uh, state championship game or something like that. But it's fine. Like it's it's University of Texas. You can you can deal with those things. And you know what? Don't play state championship games the day before texas is going to play uh a game in dkr that part all right gerald uh last bit of news here came out last week the ncaa officially shortening the transfer window in all sports from 60 days to 45 days per year um the transfer portal for football which is how most people think of this will be open for 30 uh, at the end of the regular season and 15 days in the spring it makes sense ish i think the transfer portal kind of lingering uh open is not it's you know they say it's not great for players but i think a forcing function to like to make kids make the decision granted most of your high profile guys make their decisions early and often i think um you know i I would be i'm curious to see what it looks like for guys who go into the shortened window don't have as many offers prior to it and then um end up like maybe withdrawing their name i don't know what it means um but i'm curious to see how that plays itself out yeah, legislation's coming slowly and surely. The Wild West will continue on, but it, you know, I think most coaches were, were looking for this. For basketball, by the way, men's and women's basketball, it'll be 45 days just after the regular season. And so, Gerald, let's take it home with a bit of Godzilla-tron. What'd you watch on your giant screen? So I didn't actually do much watching this last week. Um, so we moved this last week. So nice. uh, we are in our permanent home here in the San Antonio suburbs. And then uh, the other stuff outside of like packing to move and moving, it was also, um, this is going to be the nerdiest thing I say this week. I am the, uh, some of our old football buddies and buddies from high school, we play Dungeons and Dragons. I'm the dungeon master. And so I had to <laughs> prep for that outside of the moving and packing. So um, I did not do any sort of streaming this week outside of like my background watching and a lot of podcasts. Uh, for all the ladies who listen to this podcast, sorry, remember Gerald is married already. So good luck. He's off the market. Uh, I kid. No, uh, Dungeons and Dragons. No need for nerd jokes. We already said Stanford wins football games. Rice wins football games. Being a nerd is cool. It's it's fine. Nerd culture is pop culture. Uh, Gerald, uh, I'm going to talk about two things. One of them, I know you have thoughts, opinions, takes, uh, and and uh, just feelings you may share uh, here. But I'll start with the other. I don't recall if you were watching Lupin, the, uh, the French uh, much better hot take um version of 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 sherlock holmes which i love by the way anything sherlock holmes uh but it's mainly because the omar side of it all lupin is a netflix show about a gentleman burglar a french gentleman burglar who basically uh reenacts and and sprinkles in and and modernizes the schemes of a the the french famous like children's uh book series about lupin the 
Gentleman Burglar. Um, it's really good. The first two seasons were great. It's one of my favorite shows in the past probably five years just because it's, it's exactly what it it is. It's fun. There's mystery. There's drama. It's well made. Uh, it kind of resolves every episode or leaves you with a little cliffhanger that brings you to the next episode. But um, it's, you know, it gets you where you want to go. It's not probably, you know, the, the deepest, darkest thing, but they do get into some stuff that's cerebral and intellectual. I just think it's incredibly well made. It's very human. Uh, it's very interesting. It's very fun. I enjoy shows that are just fun. Um, and then a show that's not what I, or a movie, rather, what I would call fun, um, but I think is uh, incredibly well made, very interesting sometimes problematic as i rewatched it as a as an yeah. adult of, of childbearing age um i felt a different kind of way watching uh young natalie portman and of course i'm talking about leon the professional as a young person who watched it i just missed maybe the first i think it's maybe the second time i'd seen it um and so maybe when i was younger i missed the like weird underlying thing of the the relationship of I love you's between you know hardened serial killer with no emotion and no uh, activity outside of just doing his job the professional Leon played by Jean Renault um, and the 13 year old Natalie Portman um, who he adopts after he witnesses her family get murdered and kind of takes her in out of vestiges of humanity buried deep inside him she awakens that humanity in him it's a great finish a well-made movie but i wasn't so comfortable with their relationship re-watching it as an adult it is a i, I don't want to call it a beautiful film it's very, like luc besson is a very talented very incredible filmmaker who also married a 15 year old and then made a movie about an adult man ah. who um had a you know, somewhat, not somewhat, an inappropriate relationship. And, and like, there's nothing that happens between the two characters in the movie. But very clearly, there's, like, a, like, unrequited romance on her part, but maybe he does requite it. But, I mean, it, it is, if, if Natalie Portman is 18 instead of 12 in that movie, like, it's probably one of my all-time favorite films just because the themes and you've got Gary Oldman's just unhinged yeah, performance yeah, as the, yeah. as the, um, the agent who's hunting this, this uh, professional killer. But like, I just cannot get over the fact that like, you know, like, I, I, I again, 20 years ago, I didn't see it because I was 15. And so Natalie Portman was my age. And so I didn't <laughs> quite get that. But uh, now as an adult with three children, I'm like, Luke Besson was like 40 and Natalie Portman was 12. And or it, it's just, it's just not great. Yeah. Yeah. It, like I said, the performance is killer. I thought, I thought, you know, Leon is like a great character. And in fact, when she, she dresses in a way that's inappropriate and, and expresses love and things. The, the way that he's just like, do you? Where do you feel it? No, no, that's not it. Like, I think it's a great way just to, like, you know, disengage kids who are uh, often whimsical and, and unfounded. But, um, yeah, it did. It was it was a little weird. Again, I love the movie. I think it's well-made and beautiful, and I get exactly where you're sentiment. I think you may have actually been the person who recommended it to me to watch it. I'm almost positive you were the first time that I ever saw it. But I'll leave it there. Um, check it out. Make your own opinions on uh, exactly how good it is, exactly how much you, you tolerate and like it, or if you're just absolutely against it, let us know. That's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on socials media at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. Follow me on the Twitter machine. I am at GH Grodridge. Follow the show on, t- on Twitter at Longhorn Pod, Facebook and Instagram, Longhorn Republic. Shoot us an email, 
longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. We'll be back on Tuesday recapping this Houston game before we move on to Thursday and our preview show. Thank you so much for tuning in again this weekend. Until next time, hook them. Hook them. There will be no shockers in this U of H game.